Kyle, let me pray for you, and then we'll, we'll go. Father, thank you so much for Kyle. We're grateful for him and his, uh, his service to the church through the student, uh, student ministry. Uh, bless him. Thank you for his wisdom. Thank you for his willingness to serve uh, our church. Be with him and help us to uh, be stirred up in worship as he preaches, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, thanks, Jeff. Um, like you said, my name is Kyle Bafia. I am the student ministry director here at Maranatha. Uh, so this Sunday, welcome to youth group. Good to have you. And uh, today we are going to be looking at Christ as the eternal, the better high priest. And I want to give you an idea of where this is all going in the Gospel of Matthew in the 27th chapter. Uh, it is written that after the crucifixion or when Jesus was dying, it says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake, what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. That is where we are going. That is who our high priest is. And I am excited to tell you about it today. So if you would join me uh, as we pray together. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the chance to gather together and worship. Thank you so much for the fact that you have given us a high priest that is able to carry out the job effectively. Thank you for the fact that in Jesus Christ, we have a better priest a better place of worship, and a better sacrifice in him than the Old Testament saints did. Father, I pray that you would uh, help me get out of the way. I pray that you would speak through the word today and that uh, people would believe more fully because of what you have given to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we will be in the 16th chapter of Leviticus. It's going to be towards the front of your Bibles. If you're looking at the Bibles in the pews, that's going to be on page 89 for you. And I am going to tell you uh, pretty much immediately that I am not going to be able to cover everything that I would like to cover today. If you are looking for some homework to do, if you want to do your own light reading, uh, you can read up on the Ark of the Covenant, um, sort of the central piece of this holy place that we're going to be talking about. That's in Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 22. Uh, The tabernacle, which is surrounding the Ark of the Covenant, that's in Exodus 26 and 27. The priestly garments and what they mean and the significance of them, that is in Exodus chapter 28. And then if you want to really do your homework and read up on all the separate types of offering that priests were authorized to make for Israel, that is in Leviticus chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 6, and 7. So, uh, with all that out of the way, let me give you the abridged idea of what we are talking here today. And that is that Jesus Christ, according to Leviticus 16, verses 1 through 19, and the argument pretty much throughout the entire book of Hebrews, is that Jesus Christ is our eternal, superior high priest. So what does that mean? Throughout the sermon series so far for the Advent season, we've been talking about how Jesus is the eternal promise, the eternal prophet, and today we come to the fact that Jesus is our eternal priest. Now, if the promise that was made to Abraham was always going to be fulfilled in Jesus, as David preached a couple weeks ago, how does that happen? And then if a prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God to man, then what is the office of a priest? Well, simply put, a priest is the person who speaks on behalf of man to God. He is the person that intercedes. He is the person that offers sacrifices and mediation for a sinful people to a holy God. Now, this is different from the office of a prophet. 
Prophets were often once in a generation or once in sort of this cataclysmic series of events. We see them before uh, the fall of Israel going into Babylon. We see them in the rebuilding and the reconstruction period when God's people needed guidance. Um, In a lot of ways, they were this flashy show of attention and authority by God to refocus his people on what the law commands of them and how they are supposed to conduct themselves as the chosen people of the covenant God of Israel. Priests are a little less glamorous. They are a little more of an everyday kind of thing, and because of that, in Scripture, they can tend to fade into the background. In Chronicles and Kings, we get this really thorough accounting of who kings were and who prophets were. We get this really thorough accounting of what it looks like to hold those two offices in ancient Israel. Priests sometimes can kind of fade into the background, and you only really hear of them when they're behaving exceptionally well or exceptionally bad. You can read off all about that in First and Second Kings and uh, read all about the sort of contingencies that the sons of Aaron kind of go through as the Levitical priests for Israel. But today what I want to get to is this idea of how that ties in to what our New Testament gospel tells us about Old Testament traditions for Israel. Now, we're going to be reading out of Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 through 19. So if you want to meet me there, I will kind of conclude my diatribe on the difference between priests and prophets by saying that if prophets are fireworks, priests are campfires. They might not be as fun to look at, but they're going to keep you warm, they're going to make sure that you're fed, and they're a lot more practical than fireworks can be. So beginning in uh, verse 1 of chapter 16 of Leviticus, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarments on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on, and he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord and make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take a censer full of coals from the fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense, beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil, and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover and may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat, and on the east side, and in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat and the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions. 
all of their sins. And so he shall do so for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for the full assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, So what do we do, what do we see in this passage uh, briefly? Well, first, I think the thing that is eminently apparent is that we have a priest that is insufficient in a place that needs to be cleansed for a sacrifice, uh, going down to verse 34 of uh, Leviticus 16, uh, that is in place forever and is kept annually. So we have a priest, a place, and a sacrifice that is insufficient to last through the ages. It needs to be done repeatedly, it needs to be done annually, and it is all in itself an example of the insufficiency of these previous sacrifices. In verse 2, we see that Aaron would die if he entered the holy place, except for the Day of Atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement was a red-letter day on the Hebrew calendar. It was the holiest day on the calendar, and it was this one day where the high priest could enter in to the holiest place in the temple or in the tabernacle and make atonement for the people of Israel collectively. And if he did this incorrectly it wouldn't be out of the question for God to strike him dead upon doing so. It's a really serious big deal that would kind of be this really exciting day for a high priest, but also completely terrifying. In verse 4, we see that he would ritually purify himself, that's what the bathing is all about, and don these humble white linen garments as opposed to these elaborate, extravagant garments that are usually uh, common to the high priest. Again, if you want to read about those, you can go to Exodus chapter 28, but I can't cover it here today. So we see that not only is he unworthy in the fact that he is a sinner, but also in the fact that he is ceremonially unpure and needs to be purified before going in to make atonement. He's wearing these white linens as a sign of humility, but also that he is putting on this purity, putting on this holiness that is not innate to himself. It is not something that he possesses by himself. It is not something that he can give to other people. We see also in verse 6 that he would offer a sin offering for himself. The person who is going to atone for all of Israel is not without sin. It is like having a felon who is currently serving time in jail represent you in a federal court of law. It doesn't seem effective. Going on in verse 16, it says that he would make atonement for the holy place. So not only are you having court with a felon as your lawyer, you're doing it in the jail cell. That's the issue. It's not good enough for the place to be meeting with God. You need to purify it. You need to do this every year. You need to do it every year. You're never secure in what has been done by the priest previously. You are never secure in the offering. You're never secure in the priest. And you're never secure in the place that God is meeting you at. So... When we celebrate Advent, when we celebrate the coming of our eternal priest, Jesus Christ, what does that mean for us? It means that we are receiving a better priest, a better place of worship, and a better sacrifice. We are receiving, once for all, the eternal high priest, Jesus Christ, that makes a better offering and brings us into a better holy place, more immediately into the presence of God. 
Now, if you are looking for a course on what the priesthood means for, um, let's say, Jewish people in the first century after the death of Jesus, uh, the best place you would go to find that would be in the book of Hebrews. So the text for the sermon today is Leviticus 1, or sorry, Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 through 19. But the parallel to this is seen all through the book of Hebrews. Essentially, it is a book aimed directly at the religious proceeding of Israel in the day to show them that Jesus Christ is unequivocally an upgrade from the old covenant to the new covenant that he, that he is ushering in. And hopefully if you're here today or if you're listening online, you aren't here for a recounting of Old Testament ceremony, but you're here for the gospel that God saves sinners in Jesus Christ. And like David said, he has been doing this since the beginning of the covenant with Abraham. This has always been the plan. This has never not been the plan. He started with Adam and Eve when he covered their nakedness, a result of, his, a result of their sin in the garden. He started with Adam and Eve. He does it through Jesus, and he is continuing to do it today. So what I want you to understand is that not is not that Aaron's um, days of atonement were always looking forward to the atonement that he was bringing, but those days of atonement that Aaron made were looking forward to the day of atonement that Jesus is offering to his people. Jesus would, by his sacrifice, for all time, bridge the chasm of sin between God and man by his perfect, singular, ultimate, meaning final, sacrifice. If the ultimate thing is the thing that comes at the end of the series, think of it like a capstone. It is what sort of finishes everything. It's able to be used as a noun, as something that's superlative, something that's great, um, but as an adjective, as an ultimate sacrifice, it is the final completing piece of this. So again, in Christ, we have greater access to God than Israel did under the Mosaic Covenant. You could argue that from the book of Hebrews, What the author is saying is that this perfect priest, Jesus Christ, has made one perfect sacrifice to to secure access for his elect for all time to an incorruptible place before the presence of God in heaven and earth for all time. Now, that's kind of wordy. That's kind of academic. So what I'm going to preach to you today, what you can take home and put in the bank, is that because of Jesus Christ, we have greater access to God than at any other time in history. Because of this, we can, as Hebrews 4.14 says, hold fast to our confession. That means that we can live according to it. That means we can pray according to it and have confidence according to that confession, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. So I've been saying all morning that Jesus Christ is a better priest, offers us worship in a better place, and brings a better sacrifice. And I'm going to argue this to you from the book of Hebrews because it lays it out line by line. Now, some of this may have overlap because the priesthood of Christ is entwined with where he executes that priesthood and what sacrifice he's bringing. So if you see the same verse once or twice, it's not because I forgot and thought I needed to cover it later. It's because they work together to show what this means for the believer in Christ. Um, So first off, we need to address the fact that Jesus Christ is himself a better priest than what was installed under the Old Testament. The first reason is that because Jesus Christ as priest needs no atonement for his own sins because he was sinless. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So the job of a priest is to speak for man to God. It's hard for you to do that if you have no idea what man needs. So Jesus Christ, in his 
in his incarnation, is able to suffer and serve alongside his people so that he can more effectively and more accurately bring their pleas to God. As an intercessory, you cannot effectively come to God without knowing what the person you are interceding for needs. An application for this in our life is that if you have someone who's on your prayer list, you should get to know them. It shouldn't just be something that you mark down once, you hear about it, and then you never follow up with them. You should be continually meeting with them to see what kind of presence, what kind of divine presence in their life they need so you can take it to God for them in Christ. Um, So not only is Christ a high priest that needs no atonement for his own sins, he is also a high priest that has better standing to bring our prayers to God than priests in the Old Testament. So not only does he have more standing with us because of his incarnation, but he also has more standing with God because of who he is eternally. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 through 3 says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Continuing on in Hebrews 7, the author continues the argument starting in verse 26, saying, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer offer sacrifices daily, First for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made, meaning he has been vocationally qualified for this job by his suffering during his incarnation. So he has been made perfect forever. Jesus is perfectly qualified to bring our intercession to God. First, because he is sinless. Second, because he suffered like us. And third, because he did it perfectly. Why did he do that? Because he is God come down to earth. That is the only way that it would be possible. Under no other circumstances would someone have standing to be able to stand before God and say that I absolve these people. Christ can do this because he is the one who was principally injured in the offense. In a court of law, you can't bring a suit before the judges if it doesn't impact you in some way. So, for an example, if someone hit Jeff with a car outside in front of the church, I could not sue on his behalf if I had no relationship to him. I couldn't go to the court on his behalf because that issue didn't offend me personally. Continuing on, Christ is a high priest that executed his duties in a better tabernacle, not of the earth, but in heaven. Hebrews 9, 24 through 26 says that for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. There are a lot of things you can do on Zoom, but one of those things that you can't do is appear in court. You need to be there in person to execute the job, which is why Christ is so much more qualified than priests in the Old Testament to do so because he is there in front of God. He has that access, he has that standing, and he can do it sinlessly. He can do it without issue. So that is how Christ is a better priest than was offered in the Old Testament. So what is the better holy place that he is bringing us into? Well, not only does Christ bring us into more direct relationship with God, he allows us to approach regularly and with greater confidence to a more immediate presence. As we were reading through Leviticus, the first thing Moses said to Aaron is, 
you will die if you don't do this correctly. If I told you that you can walk down to Porter's, down the street, and buy a cup of coffee, but you might die in doing so, you probably wouldn't take the chance. Access is mitigated by circumstances. But Christ access, offered here in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus' perfect priesthood is the qualification for why we can come before a holy God. Continuing in verse 16, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What we are getting into here with Jesus Christ in this holy place is not some representation of what God's temple looks like, is not some representation of what it would look like to meet with God, but to do so face-to-face in heaven. And this place of worship, this nearness to God that he invites us into, is not only more accessible, but needs no yearly purification. Because by his blood, Christ has made a better sacrifice, allowing us into a better place of worship. Part of the reason that people couldn't enter into the holy place on a daily or weekly or monthly basis but could only do so once a year is because of the penalty that it had for transgressing the holiness of God. But what Christ offers in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 21 through 24, it says that in the same way he, Moses, referring to he there, sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins." Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So in this verse you see how the better priesthood with the better sacrifice in the better place allows for better access to God for his people. While the Old Testament priests were able to make sacrifices and able to draw into a temple um, that was made with human hands, that was imperfect, by Christ's sacrifice, we are given access to a better temple that that tabernacle was only a representation of. It's the difference between being able to go into a gingerbread house versus being able to go into the White House. There's more power there. It's more real. There is an actual presence and establishment that that gingerbread house is representing, that this tabernacle is representing, and it's God's throne in heaven. And finally, Christ is not a high priest that enters the holy place alone, but he brings us with him. It is not just the high priest that stands before God, but now the entire congregation because of what that priest has done. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So this cleansing that we see in the Old Testament that the priest did was now undertaken for the entire body of believers by Jesus Christ. That passage that I read earlier today in Matthew 27 where the veil was torn from top to bottom, that was the veil separating the holy place from the most holy place, the place where priests carried out sacrifices for the people to the place where God was said to dwell himself in the temple. What Christ did was he gave us access. What Christ did is he allowed us to come in with him before God. So, 
Christ is more qualified as a better priest. He offers us access to a better, more intimate, more immediate holy place. But he also brings a better sacrifice. And this is the mechanism by which this is all available. A priest isn't a priest without a sacrifice. And a holy place is defined by the presence of God and what you do in that holy place. Primarily by the presence of God, but with that presence comes a certain expectation of behavior and a certain expectation of qualification. You need to be qualified to be in the presence of God, and we find that qualification in the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What's being said there is that Jesus Christ has qualified you by his offering to be holy, to be sanctified. And that sacrifice was indeed the actual effective sacrifice that all previous sacrifices on a yearly basis, all the offerings that were sort of detailed in the first six or seven chapters of Leviticus, that's what all of them were pointing towards. I've been harping on this all day, but David said it so well in his first sermon that Jesus Christ has always been the plan of salvation. This was true with Abram. This was true with Moses. This was true in the temple of Solomon. It was true all the way through Jesus' coming to the second second temple built in Jerusalem by Herod. And it's outlined so incredibly clearly in the 10th chapter of Hebrews, verses 3 through 10. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered, every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a remainder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Jesus came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, those that were offered according to the law is what he's talking about here. Then he added, Behold, I have become to do your will. He does away with the first order to establish the second, and by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, but offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. When you sit down, your job for the day is finished. I used to work at McDonald's as a teenager, and they would always tell me, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. You should be standing up, you should be doing your job, you should be making sure that everything is set up for the next thing, and you can't sit down until you are off the clock. Uh, for all those dads out there who have a lot of yard work to do and try to push it off on their kids, I used to be that kid too. My parents would send me out to mow the lawn, and I would just try and like, get through it as fast as possible and really just like tear through it. And then I'd walk in and say, all right, cool, I'm done, and I sat down. And then my dad would look out the window and say, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> because there was all this grass that was left between the strips that I would take with the mower. He was saying, you can't sit down until you get back out there and you do the job and you finish it there is still something remaining to be done. Now, I'm being kind of goofy about this, but 
the bottom line is that the job has been done. We don't have any more sin to atone for. We don't have any more worries to bring into the holy place. We don't have any more doubts in our high priest because Christ has done so effectively. He has done so perfectly. With his sacrifice, Christ did what all the law and human obedience was pointing to, was pointing to truthfully, but could never hope to accomplish. And he's done this for everyone that is to believe. Um, if you go to the book of Second Peter, uh, or First Peter in the second chapter, uh, the ninth verse, uh, the Apostle Peter says to the people reading uh, that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The joy of the Advent season is that all of this is coming to pass in the person of Jesus Christ. And as participants in that sacrifice and in that offering, we are allowed to be called priests. My first definition at the beginning of today was that priests are people who speak for men on their behalf to God. We were able to bring intercession, we are able to pray for people, we are able to share with God what's on our hearts, what's on the hearts of our community, and that is what we take away here today, is not that we have made the sacrifice, not that we provide the place of worship, but because those things have been done for us by our great high priest, we can go and in his likeness proclaim what he has done and advocate for people to God. Uh, Pray with me. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you so much for the fact that you have come and done the job that I could not do, that Aaron could not do, that none of the priests could do, but you have accomplished completely, fully, eternally in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for your sacrifice, for your grace, for your mercy, um, and all of this. Thanks be to Jesus. Amen.